0: Hi friends, this is Dr. Michael Williams, and welcome back to the Diversifying Path podcast. This podcast explores how investing in diversity can lead to a high return of investment in pathology and laboratory medicine by learning from the knowledge and experiences of diverse voices within our field. My next guest is Dr. Keisha Mitchell-Richards. Dr. Mitchell-Richards is Director of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine at Greenwich Hospital in Greenwich, Connecticut. Originally from Jamaica, Dr. Mitchell Richards earned her medical degree from the University of the West Indies, Kingston, Jamaica. She then completed her anatomical and clinical pathology residency at George Washington University, a forensic pathology fellowship at University of South Florida, and a gastrointestinal pathology fellowship at University of Pittsburgh. Dr. Mitchell Richards began her career as an Economic Gastrointestinal Pathologist at Yale University and subsequently became an Associate Professor and Director of Autopsy. She departed Yale to become a Community Pathologist at Greenwich Hospital in 2016, where she became a Director in 2018. She has published in Autopsy, Gastrointestinal and liver Pathology and lectured in these areas locally and nationally. She is an active participant in pathology at the national level, serving as the vice chair of the curriculum committee of the College of American Pathologists and member of the Pathologist Council of the American Society of Clinical Pathologists. She also is the current chair of membership of the Society of Black Pathologists. Her professional interests include making pathology and pathologists more accessible to patients and bolstering physician involvement in healthcare administration. Without further ado, there's application of the Again friends to the Diversify and Path podcast. I'm here with my next guest, uh, Dr. Mitchell Richards. So can you tell us who you are, where you are from, and your pronouns?
1: So I'm Keisha Mitchell Richards. I am from Jamaica, I was born and raised in Jamaica, I went to medical school in Jamaica and then I trained, I did my post medical school training here in the U.S. after internship and I am a pathologist, a GI liver and forensic pathologist by training but I'm currently the director of the clinical laboratory and pathology at Greenwich hospital, which is a community hospital in Greenwich, Connecticut.
0: And in pronouns?
1: My pronouns are she and her, they is fine too.
0: Okay. Well, so what got you interested in doing pathology?
1: So um, I came to pathology because I was somewhat addicted to law and order type shows Mm -hmm. Um, when I was in, uh, well okay, so in high school I always wanted to be a doctor and Mm -hmm. then at some point I decided I wanted to be a lawyer (laughs) and Uh then after a somewhat circuitous path through a year of law school, I went back to medicine Mm -hmm. And I was kind of captivated by legal aspects of medicine. I was always excited by forensic pathology, even though I later came to realize that all those crime shows were basically lies. But (laughs) that captured my interest. Mm -hmm. And then in med school, pathology was not, to me, the most exciting part. Like, I I came late to it. But then during my internship in Jamaica, you have to do um, a year and a half internship. Then it was a year and a half. I think it's a year now or something like that. And in that time, you do an elective. And I chose to do my elective in pathology. And it was really then when I had finished med school, I really started to enjoy pathology. I'd always been fascinated by the pathologists, like Mm -hmm. in Jamaica, Pathologists just had a very different reputation than when I came here and came to see that they were thought to be weird and that, no, like in Jamaica, they were awesome. I, there, were, yeah. there were a couple of women, they were some of the best dressed women, they were just fly and just <laughs> bright and exuberant uh-huh. and so smart and really kind of snippy in a glorious way and it yeah. just... And then when I actually started to do pathology, we started with autopsies mostly and it seemed, and that was where I discovered that, wait, I have this passion for trying to figure out why, who, what, where, how. And that's, right. that's everything about pathology. And that love has never left. So that's how I came to pathology.
0: <laughs> that is amazing. You know, I, and I, I, wanted to get your perspective about it. Um, seeing, Seeing pathology like in Jamaica versus here in the U.S. because we always get to get exposed more towards the you know American portion or aspect of being a pathologist. But what are other differences or similarities that you've seen um, the way pathology is viewed like in Jamaica compared to here in the in the U.S.
1: So the pathology department in Jamaica has big presence. It had big presence. It was an integral part of medicine. And so, for example, the surgeons who were doing their DM in surgery, which is the the post-grad training to become a surgeon, Mm -hmm. had to do a rotation in pathology. It was required. Uh So they would rotate through pathology. So it didn't seem like a weird outlier like it is here. Like sometimes I feel like here is a little bit of an afterthought where mm-hmm. people don't recognize that you're actually a physician contributing to the care of the patient, that's very di- that was very different from my experience in Jamaica. So that was, that was one. It was just really integrated. And the pathologists were very strong and very respected and consulted very often. They, there was a lot of correlation. Right. Um, there was a regular m M&M and every week. That was a big deal. So there was no point in Jamaica when I was doing pathology as an intern or even when I started as a resident there that I thought it was like a mini specialty or kind of to the side. And it, it, it never even crossed my mind that pathologists were weird. And then I came to the U.S. Uh-huh. and realized that somehow there's this, there this undercurrent of pathology is a weird specialty. They're kind mm-hmm. of in the lab. They don't want to talk to people. And there was also this um, this kind of, uh, maybe disrespect is too strong, but certainly a little bit of disregard.
0: And dismissiveness type thing. Mm-hmm. I
1: did not experience in the Caribbean. And it, mm-hmm. when I, I remember I did my um, residency at GW DC, and we were a lot of foreign medical graduates, right? Mm-hmm. And there was I, one of my co-residents from Hungary She had the same experience as I did coming here. And it was just kind of interesting that here, I think pathology has been slow to kind of, to make people recognize that, hold on a second. We are Mm -hmm. physicians. We know what we're doing. We contribute in a strong way. Mm -hmm. And we're not just, you don't just send something to the lab and some machine churns out a result. So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, if I... It, it, it was just a different degree of regard and interaction. From I think that's evolved. That's changed, mm-hmm. um, but certainly that was my initial impression when I came here.
0: Yeah, it, you know, it's, so it, it's interesting because in like in medical school when I was doing medical school uh, a little couple years back, pathology was like the first. It was first two years, and it it was more regarded as studying for step 1 so you need that as a step 1 adjuvant in order to basically pass it and then you go on to the clinical years 3 and 4 and then you just see all the clinical medicine aspect and then you just don't really interact with pathology like ever again. And so it's funny because right. which I... is
1: unfortunate.
0: Mhm. Yeah, it is. When I I I always do this do ex- ex- examples and stories and you can definitely if you have like stories and examples please I would love to hear it but for me I remember when I was like switching into like pathology from surgery and I had like a dinner one night with several friends and one of them was like hey like so does the you know does the hospital have a pathology department here like when I was in Buffalo and I was like they do but the 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 thing was it was like because they were I hate to say it because I I, I don't think it, it... I don't know if it was designed that way. It probably wasn't. But, like, they were on a specific floor that nobody ever went to because, like, that wasn't a patient or clinic floor. So it would be there, right. a whole floor for pathology, but like, but nobody would really stop on that floor or, or whatsoever. So in a way, it was sort of hidden, like in one of the hospitals. Well, in other hospitals as well, too. But in one of the hospitals I worked at. So, yeah, it was just, like, interesting to, like, hear that... It's still a specialty that exists. When I went to Syracuse, I had gone to a physician a, um, appointment. And they're like, oh, so what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a pathologist. And now, you know, in my head, there's the there's always the things that happen. It's like, okay, I'm a pathologist. And people were like, oh, okay, that's great. Or, you know, pathology, like, oh, so you cut up dead people. And you're just like, ooh, yes. like how do I have this discussion with you? But, surprising third option happened where somebody was like, oh my God, I never thought I would ever meet a pathologist in real life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I was just laughing at that encounter because she, you know, they were basically um, there to like, we were having this, I was there, you know, for a clinical appointment and I had a discussion with this person about, pathology and she was just really like oh wow so you know like one you guys actually exist and two what do you what do y'all do like and stuff like that so we had a discussion it was i just thought it was hilarious in that aspect like we were like a magical unicorn that people just never know
1: <laughs> that's true because mm-hmm. most people don't think of us at all not until they get a biopsy and somebody says your pathology came back Mm-hmm. and that's when they they think about us right yeah Or right. when somebody dies and they they think they want an autopsy yeah it's it's mm-hmm. it's very typical mm.
0: so so yeah can you tell us when you were let's say in, when you were in residency your like passion for forensic pathology was that still there or did you waver
1: it was still there it, mm-hmm. it and it, it it still is there it's not it's not completely gone mm-hmm. um i you know just to reference where i am now i'm probably the only pathologist in my department that consciously actively encourages autopsies mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's still there um and during residency it was always there but but an interesting thing happened is that during res- residency i liked everything. Sido, I loved Hempath. At one point, I was like, I want to do Hempath, but at yeah. the time, it was, well, if you do it here, it's two years. So it's like it was like, mm-hmm. I was on the fence and in the end, um, I decided I still wanted to do forensics. So mm-hmm. I did my fellowship and it was really serendipity. There are many factors that caused that change, but it wasn't so much that I decided I didn't want to do forensics. It was some other life decisions and choices led me to go back to do another fellowship I I ultimately couldn't get what I wanted in forensic pathology and decided to do some more training then I went back um, and did the surgical pathology the, the GI liver fellowship in Pittsburgh and I loved it like it was mm-hmm. awesome it was just I liked my co-fellows I liked my attendings I I loved it I loved my fellowship year, I have to say, Um, it was really, really very good. And I got very good training, I think. Mm -hmm. And so when I was finished and trying to decide what to do, the opportunity came up to start working as a GI liver pathologist more so than as a forensic pathologist. So I took it Um, Mm -hmm. and I kind of, the rest is history. And then I just never ended up going back into forensics. Although I did eventually start signing out autopsy again and then I became the director of the autopsy service in that job, mm-hmm. um, which was very rewarding like it was a great experience so I still maintained autopsy skills and practice just not in a forensic way um, yeah. so it's still it's still near and dear to my heart
0: is there what advice can you give people who are currently listening um, who are Finishing a fellowship in one field and debating about going and doing another fellowship in something like completely different from what they they thought, um, like factors that you were thinking when you were making that, that transition and switch and applying again for fellowship. Are there any advice that you can give somebody who made that meet in that position?
1: So, I think even before you get to that position, I do want to say that. When you are a resident, mm-hmm. you it is probably a good idea, even if you like one area and you decide that's the area you're gonna do, don't neglect the others. I've seen mm-hmm. residents do that, like I wanna do Durham Path, and so mm-hmm. they really disregard almost everything else. They kind of skirt through those rotations and and in that way you don't set yourself up to get necessarily the recommendations or the strong endorsements that you might need if you end up changing midstream. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing I would mention. And then if you're at that point that you've finished, why do you want that second fellowship? If you're just doing it to be marketable and have basically zero interest in doing it, it probably would make more sense to try and figure out what can you do in what you do like. I do recognize that a component of every job is that it's a job and there are days it's not going to be warm and fuzzy and appeal to you and this whole hustle economy. I can't even get into where if it's your passion, it's never going to feel like work. that's abs- for me, that's not true. It is my passion. And some days it feels like absolute work. Mm-hmm. So I would say, though, if you're at that crossroads where you're thinking, Should I devote another year to this? At a very minimum, you should have some passion for it, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. don't just, you know, a lot of people, like when when I have positions open and I'm looking for pathologists, I find that cytology, for example, is overrepresented as a fellowship. And it's because Mm -hmm. people are like, oh, it makes you marketable. Well, but I have five of you with a cytology fellowship. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. how marketable is that? what what distinguishes you from the other four people that did a cytology fellowship to make themselves marketable Mm -hmm. so so think a little bit beyond that is this something you have a passion for is this something that somebody that you trained with is going to say you know what even though they first wanted to do x they would be a phenomenal y i actually wanted them to do y and they didn't want to go into it that sort of thing i think you have to think about
0: well let's talk about the transition from uh finishing fellowship and then moving into an academic position uh at yale what was that like
1: um intimidating because Mm -hmm. you at first you you know no matter what you hear yale you think it's yale so it's it's a little bit slightly frightening maybe Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you go and then Quite frankly, all pathologists, even the best ones, the smartest ones, the brightest ones, the most talented ones, put their pants on one foot at a time just like the rest of us. So you, if you have that solid background and that solid training, you go in. And one thing to know is that when you actually start signing out, that tubular adenoma that three weeks ago when you were a fellow was like... Of course that's a tubular adenoma. When you start signing out, you look over that tubular adenoma like six times. You look at every single level <laughs> on mm-hmm. the slide, you look at the whole ribbon, and when you're actually going to hit that button for the first time, it's slightly terrifying. Is it really a tubular adenoma? And that happens yeah. anywhere. Uh-huh. And then you get used to it. You I think you everything takes longer. Because you're a little bit more afraid in the beginning. Or I was. When I say you, I'm talking completely about my experience. Mm -hmm. And then you get used to it. And then you start, you you get the signing out part out of the way first. Because basically, what good are you if you're a pathologist and you can't sign out? Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You You can develop all the academic skills you want. But at the core of what we do is we diagnose pathology or not in a specimen. And so you master that first. And sometimes that's long days and weekends in the beginning, just to Mm -hmm. get up to speed and get to a certain comfort zone and to also establish a relationship with your clinician partners, right? Have Mm -hmm. them have faith in you, have them trust your diagnosis and your acumen. And so you have to work on that and then you start to figure out the academic part is how am I going to grow in academia? What is it Mm -hmm. that I want to do? How am I going to develop that? How am I going to forge those relationships? That last part is very important because relationships from your training are very valuable. Mm -hmm. Relationships from your fellow trainees and where they go and who they're with because they can speak about you. They can say, Oh yeah, I trained with her. She's great. She's not good. That sort of thing. And then your relationships with your, your current colleagues and leaders, you try to navigate how best can they help you? Who can be, maybe you should, everybody should be more strategic even in the beginning and just identifying who is in your corner or who can be in your corner and, and working on those relationships.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that, wow. Uh, I say wow because it's like, you know, I feel like going through training, it's, you're thinking to yourself, like, well, the way I think is like, okay, residency, okay, then fellowship, and then fellowship, okay, now, then, then work. And of course, you're thinking about the people you're working with and all that. But in my head, I'm like, all right, like, starting out, like, Coming from medical school to residency, it's like, okay, like, I've done this, this is how we did it in medical school, so that's going to be the structure that I build, how I'm going to pursue, you know, training until I become an attending, and then when I'm an attending, in a way, kind of feels like you have to be this, like, silo knowledge, portion of knowledge before, like, interacting with people, if that makes sense, um, but the fact that, of course, like, where you're training, especially in pathology, it's, like, the people you talk to, yeah, they maybe go into a different field, but if they go to a hospital that you may want to work at and, you know, you had a bad reaction with them or interaction with them for three or four years. Like, and they're, you know, they're going to be like, Oh, uh," (laughs) you know, all that stuff is going to come back. But
1: And even if you don't want to be in a hospital where they work at, particularly for academia, they may end up working with people with whom you want to collaborate Mm -hmm. or with people who you want to ask you to give a talk later on, mm-hmm. or moderate a session at Uscap Like when you put in your application for the abstract review uh, committee, y- you know, the field is only so big, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're six degrees of separation from somebody else. And so not everybody is going to like you. God knows I know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's important for everybody to respect what you can bring to the table yeah. so so that's something that it has to be part of your relationship with people it's not necessarily about oh i like this person or oh, i don't like this person it's, okay even if i don't like them if somebody says should i ask michael to do this talk i can say yes i've heard michael speak i'm not crazy about him but i've heard him <laughs> speak and he can do it so those things matter much more than people realize right Right. that's why sometimes unfortunately people you notice people going for the same people which is terrible Mm -hmm. but it's almost because they're tried and true and if you're putting something together at the very core you want it to be successful everybody deserves a first-time opportunity but it's always nice even for your first-time opportunity if you can reach out to somebody who said oh yeah i know them and even though they've never done this before they're going to be great at it kind of thing Mm -hmm
0: i wanted to talk about the entering academics as a person of color because there's always there's the talk about like in double amc that talks about the lack of representation of people of color in academia and then just like attrition rates as well and i just wanted to get your perspective about that like was that a factor or something you were worried about when you were starting your job or starting in, in an academic setting
1: not really. It was not a conscious thought. Once I left Jamaica, mm-hmm. I, I quickly became used to being the only one. As a black woman, mm-hmm. you really have to get to... Sometimes it can be lonely. I'm not suggesting it can't. But you, you get to a point where you realize that it is actually an aberration, which is unfortunate, mm-hmm. and a sad reflection of where we are. But it's an aberration when there's more than one of you. So I used to joke as a resident that it, <laughs> it, mm. you would see like three white residents can have lunch, and it would they'd be having lunch, if three black residents from different specialties were getting together, it was a meeting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm.
1: oh, yeah. which is sad, right? Like yeah, yeah. So there's. Uh. But you get, you have to start to develop some kind of, some kind of comfort zone with being the only one, Mm -hmm. recognizing, though, that part of the responsibility of being the only one, although it's somewhat unfair, is that for some reason you still carry the burden of, like, black people somehow have to represent for all black people in the world, even though we're very diverse, we come from many different backgrounds, and we're all not the same, Mm -hmm. you know you represent for all others. And sometimes that's hard here because in Jamaica, something happens. It's not, it's not like, let's divorce it from pathology. If something happens on a bus, it's something happened on a bus. A guy did something on a bus. In America, something happens on a bus. All the black people are standing up on the TV just going, oh God, oh God, oh God, please don't let Because it becomes the black man did something on a bus.
0: Right, yeah. yeah, so it's
1: and... it it is very different mm-hmm. and so you have to be aware of that while still acknowledging it's a little bit ridiculous mm-hmm. but you do have to be aware of it. I was often the only one, but I I'm very happy to say I was never the only one for long, right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. my residency there had been, black resident before me many years ago i was the only one in my class but thereafter we had several chief residents Mm -hmm. uh, you know so it's it's been very rewarding to see that the the year after me the chief resident was a a african-american roger mitchell trisha came next when i went to yale after me there was another attending at Bridgeport and then after me there's another attending at Yale and now there is a professor at Yale and it may not be talked about but it but I know it he knows it we recognize it Mm -hmm. and I think it's been very important like I've been very proud of the the encouragement that has happened even with medical students at Yale Mm -hmm. like black medical students have gone into pathology and i think there is something about seeing Mm -hmm. other black people as pathologists that says oh wait a second it may not be conscious you're not thinking oh another black person is a pathologist but it still is that kind of positive reinforcement that says oh i could consider this let's talk about it yeah
0: so um
1: yeah so i think you do if we don't make an conscious effort to change the spectrum of pathology then we won't change and that applies to many subspecialties in medicine right mm-hmm, surgery mm-hmm. orthopedic surgery neurosurgery so so these things matter um, representation matters diversity matters mm-hmm. um, seeing yourself as someone with that potential does matter
0: so my, I went into the kind of follow up on the, an earlier conversation about uh, where you're working at now, from academic to being in community practice, Uh, for you, what factors, I guess, made you do that switch?
1: So my, I enjoyed my academic career for the most part, I did. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like anything else, there are pluses and minuses. I think i started to look at leaving when number one after i had kids i had two children and they were young children and um i started to consider could i could there be a different life like in academia you always have homework no matter what right mm-hmm. even when your day is done because you're either supposed to be writing thinking about writing or <laughs> editing or you know doing the research All of that is something you need to be doing. So if you're not doing it, you're thinking, why am I not doing it? When am I going to do it? Oh my God, I didn't do it. Right? So there is that pressure. The other thing realistically too, is that there were small things at work in that academic setting that just made me think, maybe it's time for a change. Mm -hmm. And So I wasn't driven to the change, but once you start to think it, and you think it often enough, you can't unthink it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and an opportunity came up and I said, okay, since I'm thinking, since I'm having some moments of discontentment, right. um, and this is coming up. Let's go look at it. So I went to look at the other opportunity, and this is always a danger. That's why if you ever try, if you ever want to keep someone, if you ever have faculty you want to keep, your best bet is to keep them before they start looking. Because once I looked at that opportunity, it it seemed different and fresh and that it could offer me a different way of life. The remuneration Mm -hmm. was different. Won't lie. And then the idea of having a finite day Mm -hmm. was very attractive just a finite day the idea also of not having the multiple multiple personalities in academia that I had to navigate Mm
0: -hmm. was
1: amazing Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm sure I'm a personality you have to navigate and that's fine I can concede that but I no longer wanted to navigate some of them Mm -hmm. Um, and some of them I do think related to microaggressions Um, although you, you it's not, you don't conceptualize it at a time, but there are certain things, you know, especially for me, uh, I'm not shy. I'm exuberant. Mm-hmm. I'm extroverted and I will always say what I think. Mm-hmm. And um, and in, in discussions, when you juxtapose that against certain other faculty, somehow you always come out on the wrong end, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it, depending on your demographic, somehow... No, obviously you were the one who you talked loud. You know, there are certain things, um, small things, but enough that by that time I said, you know, it's time to look at something else and then the something else turned out to be wonderful. Like I didn't, I thought I would, I loved teaching and I devoted a lot of time to teaching. Um, And sometimes I think that was appreciated and sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes there were definitely things I could have done better. About mm-hmm. how I expressed myself and I've grown to um, improve on some of that, but but some of the criticisms are just were just very interesting when you look at who didn't get some of those criticisms. you mm-hmm. know so mm-hmm. initially, um, I thought I would miss it, and then I changed jobs, and I didn't miss it at all
0: oh, wow. at all.
1: And then somebody asked me even yesterday, and I still don't miss it. But I think I'm good with change, and that's mm-hmm. maybe part of why. Like, I'm an immigrant. I, I, I changed careers to go to med school. I changed right, yeah. fellowship, you know, training. I, I, I changed from thinking I was going to be a forensic pathologist to being an academic. So I think change is something that I work with fairly well,
0: mm-hmm. but I don't
1: mm-hmm. miss it. At all. Yeah. I think it's wonderful. It has its pluses and it is definitely for some people. Mm -hmm. And I have new challenges in my current position that some days I'm like, oh, I'm spending more time than I used to spend on academia at work.
0: (laughs) But it
1: has its own rewards as well. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. um, so I don't miss it. And I would say to anybody who's thinking about it is that, just when you're looking at something else, make sure in that something else, there is the potential for you that you will enjoy. You're not just leaving because you hate academia, but you're, if you're disdainful of the community practice, private practice life, it's Mm -hmm. not for you. But if you are willing to have an open mind and say, okay, that's interesting. It's different. Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. not what I'm doing now. But I'm open to it. Then yeah, I you know it's all pathology. It's all pathology. (laughs) It's all. Some of us are smarter on a given day, in our given specialty than others. Mm -hmm. But it's all pathology.
0: What are things that you've noticed switching from academia to community? Uh, Things that you felt like, wow, I didn't see this much in like in academia, and so you're, in a way, learning a different skill set, and what are are things that you've noticed that you had to adjust to um, going on this new career path?
1: So, I was was only sending out GI and liver and autopsy when I was an academic pathologist. Mm -hmm. Um, That's it. (laughs) Even though Mm -hmm. I was CP... Um, certified, that was it. So I hadn't done any CP since residency and I was an academic pathologist for about just under maybe eight and a half years and mm-hmm. I had done two fellowships. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was 10 years out from CP. So that was a definite learning curve. And um, one of the things that I I had to adjust to in CP, in AP, the pathologist is more or less the the queen of their own domain Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but in cp the manager the tech (laughs) those are the queens of the domain so you you need to have the right relationships with them you need to defer to them when it's absolutely necessary and you need to learn from them Mm -hmm. so a lot of what i've learned in the last few years have been from my clinical pathologist staff my techs my managers, my administrative director. Like mm-hmm. I've learned so much about many different things, including management from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been amazing. It's been very valuable. And I think if I, if I were to go back and say to my younger resident self, I would say, embrace that part then like soak that up, recognize that value. Cause I'm not sure that I did. And I trained in a strong CP program. Um, but still, I think, you know, this experience now says that to me, there's so much more they have to teach you then Mm -hmm. that you should learn. You have stuff to teach them, don't get me wrong, but, but there's so much other coming from, um, them that you should definitely absorb that. Um, I've also had to recognize that subspecialties training is awesome. And definitely has advantages, but in the right environment, you're like a baby when it comes to the other subspecialties and you really have to remember to know what you do not know okay. and reach for resources when you don't know something. Don't hesitate to ask for them. I've just had to take a step back and I definitely don't, still do not embark on melanocytic lesions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um but it it's more it's things like that. But much of the uh, pathology is you it's looking for patterns, pattern recognition, using your knowledge base to guide your decision making.
0: So I have two more questions. Uh and I think you had talked about it earlier in terms of ways we can diversify in pathology meaning like what ideas or thoughts do you think would help more, I BIPOC, those who are, like, LGBTQ, um, ways of increasing that diversity uh, in pathology. What are your thoughts about that?
1: I think we have to reach out to those medical students to have them see us and understand what we do and engage them in what we do. And I've actually even gone to speak to middle school kids about a path to pathology, high school children. Mm -hmm. So children who don't even know who we are, what we do, we have to make a conscious effort to say, hey, we are pathologists, we are black and brown, we are LGBTQ. you know, we are here, we represent, and this is what we do. This is how exciting it is, this is how exciting it is to us. And this is what it brings to medicine, and this is why you should consider it. I think that's a major part of what we need to do. We also need to have programs that allow them to get exposure to what we do. Uh You know, it is, there is kind of this general understanding if you are not black, maybe I shouldn't say if you're not black and brown, but among more affluent people or people with already doctors in their family. They know how to volunteer. They know what you need to do. They know how mm-hmm. to come and say they want to work in a lab. And, but those opportunities, black and brown people don't know about mm-hmm. somehow. Like it never, it doesn't cross their mind that during the summer, they should volunteer in a hospital pathology department filing slides, right? Because they don't have the same opportunity, the same exposure to know that. So we, I think it would be really valuable if we created those kind of opportunities. How do we immerse them into medicine at a young age and at an early stage mm-hmm. for them to see that, oh, this is what it's like?
0: Gotcha. I like it. But I agree in terms of, you know, like in medical school, you volunteer, but, you know, you don't know that until you go to, like when I was doing um, – college you would or even grad school you would go to the pre-med office and they would help you get volunteer opportunities um to make you show like you're interested in in pathology or in medicine in general um so i i agree and then last question is how can people follow you on social media to see how your career progresses and grows
1: so i'm on twitter um Uh i is at K A Mitchell R. Make changes there. I'm also on LinkedIn, and actually, I've really come to like LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was I went over there kicking and screaming when we were looking for a pathologist. That was how I started that account to advertise our position, but I really like it. It has it kind of diversifies my interactions mm-hmm. and brings me things that I don't necessarily see on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I my sphere on my official Twitter account is very pathology centric, whereas um, my other kind of interest is in hospital administration and and the hospital functions and that sort of thing. And I'm that's a little bit more diversified over on LinkedIn. So I'm there as well. And on LinkedIn, I am let me look that up for you. I should know these things, but that's <laughs>
0: right. Um, <laughs>
1: I think if you just search for me on Twitter, you'll find me as a director of pathology to Greenwich hospital. So, Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn as Keisha Mitchell Richards and on Twitter. And yeah, always open to new followers and engaging with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fairly responsive. I just lately have not been as good at initiating <laughs> um, contact.
0: And do you have any final words uh, for the audience before we head off?
1: Oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> I think I've said quite a bit. I'm not.
0: I'm purely,
1: purely talkative. So, but I'm always, if um, if anyone needs any help with anything or mm-hmm. that I can provide that's within my scope, then I am always available. Reach out to me. The, you must do what brings you joy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think in the end Pathology and work should be like that. It should bring you joy. Even when you have the drudgery, it, it should bring you joy. And you should find a way to create and find that space to make that joy. And if this job is not doing it for you, then go find another one that is. Because especially right now, there are way more jobs than there are pathologists. Mm. So,
0: well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on this podcast. Really appreciate it. Love the energy you were giving us uh throughout the, the episode thank you
1: for having me of course thank you for having me and <laughs> even thinking of me this is awesome yeah, yeah. all right um all, yeah. right. all right
0: okay so i'm gonna stop recording now. give me one second
1: okay perfect okay i'm
0: gonna i, I... hi again, friends well this is it for today's episode Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to the diversified App podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode, and I hope to see you soon. (laughs)